Heavenly Father, we ask that in your mercy and your grace you would send the Holy Spirit to help us now, to open our eyes that we may see wonderful things in your law. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning we pick up again our series in the book of Philippians and uh, we've been going through this uh, for a number of weeks now. We had a bit of a break last week when I was on annual leave, uh, but we've been looking at, particularly in the recent weeks, uh, the way that the Apostle Paul has been encouraging the church in Philippi, who he loves dearly, uh, to be unified. And that even started back at the end of chapter 1, where he has told them to, to, to live as one man, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, back in chapter 1, verse 27. And then he's been giving uh, instructions, specific instructions, as how to, we can cultivate unity within the church and the humility that we should show. And even that wonderful hymn about the Lord Jesus Christ in chapter 2, uh, verses 5, uh, well, verse 6 and following, uh, which is very well known about uh, the Lord Jesus being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness or human appearance. Uh, This is, we see, just really an example that the the Apostle Paul is giving of to how our attitude should be towards one another, that we should be humble as the Lord Jesus was humble and showed love and united his people through that humility. And then we've been looking at even examples of of how to treat particular people with unity. At the end of chapter 2, two people were held up by the Apostle Paul. One is Timothy and then Epaphroditus. And Epaphroditus is the person that I spoke about last time. Uh, He is actually a person from the church in Philippi who has been with the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul was sending him back to the church in Philippi and encouraging them to love Epaphroditus uh, when he returns to receive him uh, because of his work for the Lord. And so now we come to chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1, where the Apostle Paul uh, speaks about a subject that is dear to him, and that is the joy that we can have in the Lord. In verse 1, we read of chapter 3, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord, for it it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. He is going to start speaking about the subject of joy in greater detail, and particularly uh, he will do so uh, down into chapter 4, where we have that uh, very famous verse verse 4 of chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Uh, But before uh, he speaks in that regard in chapter 4, he wants to warn the church in Philippi in verse 2 about those who can destroy unity in the church, Uh, the, the... Apostle Paul has been encouraging unity between the believers uh, by giving them different examples and different commands and, and holding up of Timothy and Epaphroditus as good leaders within the church. And now he wants to warn the church in Philippi about bad leaders, people who will come in and be destructive within the church, not even just leaders, but people who will be destructive within the church. And what does he call such people? Well, he uses very strong language. Verse 2 of chapter 3, he says, Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Why does he call them dogs? Well, he's not thinking of the cute puppies uh, that we often see on different clips on the internet, or you may even have in your home. He doesn't think of the well-trained pets uh, that you may see around your suburbs. Uh, This is a totally different idea for the Apostle Paul from those household pets that we often think of when we think of dogs in our society. He's thinking of dogs that were horrible animals, that roamed the streets and were a great danger. And we see this again and again in the Bible, the way that dogs are referred to. They're referred to as dangerous animals. 
Even that psalm that we had read for us before, Psalm 59, in verse 14, it says that they return at evening, this is speaking of evildoers in Psalm 59, they return at evening snarling like dogs and prowl about the city. They wander about for food and howl if not satisfied. So he's saying that these people, these people that you need to watch out for, that you need to beware of, uh, that they are like dogs and... If they are like dogs, then they're creatures that roam about in the street, would be what Paul has in mind. But what else would he be thinking of? He'd be thinking of uh, dogs as being unclean animals. Unclean, not just their coats, that they need a good bath, but by what they ate. Uh, And you can see that dogs in the Bible, they're not fussy eaters, and they even eat dead animals and dead humans that are left lying unburied in the streets. There's examples of that in the Old Testament. And so it's not surprising that the the Jews called Gentiles, non-Jews, dogs. They referred to them as dogs. And part of the reason was they weren't fussy about what they ate. The Gentiles were not fussy, whereas the Jews were very fussy, according to their religious laws, about what they ate. And so the Gentiles are dogs because they ate unclean things all the time. And so they're like a dog on the street that is unclean. It just eats whatever it can find. Why else would they be called dogs, these people? What else is the Apostle Paul thinking of? Well, he's thinking of them as greedy. When you think of dogs, when he thought of dogs, he thought of them as greedy. And you see that in the, in the Bible as well. In Isaiah 56, uh, the prophet Isaiah speaks about Israel's watchmen, and he says that they are dogs with mighty appetites. They never have enough. Now, you may have a pet dog, and you may be able to verify this, that a dog never has enough. They have mighty appetites. I still remember a friend of mine at another church, and he had a Labrador, and he had what was called an open bag diet. He just cut the top off the bag of dog food, uh, the biscuits, and the dog could feed itself whenever it liked. And that dog was huge. It just had no self-control. And that is what dogs are like. They have mighty appetites, is what the Word of God says in Isaiah 56. But also, dogs are known to be vicious. They roam around, they're unclean in what they eat, they're greedy, but they are vicious. They're territorial animals. They worry when they grab hold of something. They hound. That's why we have hounds, isn't it? They hound after things, after other animals and even people. They dog people and they bite And they don't just bite other animals, they bite humans. And they can cause great harm. They can cause great mutilation by their bites and even death. It's not like being nibbled by a guinea pig when you're bitten by a vicious dog. And we see this even in the Bible in Psalm 22, that psalm that we opened with. Psalm 22, verse 20, it says, the psalmist says, "'Deliver my life from the sword.'" my precious life from the power of the dogs. See what's paralleled there? Hebrew poetry loves to parallel an idea in a similar way. Uh, It doesn't rhyme with the words like we like to think in English poetry. It's the rhyming of ideas. What's the rhyming of the idea with the sword? The sword is right up there with dogs, or dogs are right up there with the sword. They're dangerous. And so when the Apostle Paul describes these people as dogs, he's not thinking of cute little puppies. He's thinking of animals that roam around, that are unclean, that are greedy, vicious, and can do great harm. So who is the Apostle Paul describing here? 
Who are these men who do evil in verse 2? Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. Well, the word mutilators of the flesh there gives us a bit of a clue as to who he's speaking about. And then in verse 3, we can understand it more as well when he says, for it is we who are the circumcision. He's speaking about people here who claim to be the circumcision. Who are they? Well, they are Jews who insisted on circumcision as being a way of salvation. You see this in the New Testament, that there are these Jews who insist on keeping the law as a way of salvation. And particularly circumcision is one of their great laws that they love to push upon others in order to be saved. We see this in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, where we read, Some men came down from Judea, they come down from uh, the region of Judea, from Israel, to Antioch, to a non-Jewish city, and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. And in 15 verse 2 of Acts, we read, This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So it's not surprising here in Philippians chapter 3 that the Apostle Paul has sharp words for those who would be teaching that you must be circumcised in order to be saved. These Jews, to the Apostle Paul, are not the circumcision. He says, we are the circumcision, in verse 3. What are these people? They are the mutilators of the flesh. He's got a play on words there. It's a very similar word in Greek for the, uh, in, uh, at the end of verse 2 and then at the beginning of verse 3. Uh, basically, it's the same word but with a, a, a sort of a preposition on the front. One is a cutting that's mut- uh, that mutilates. The other one is the cutting uh, for circumcision. It's a circular sort of cut that is made. So it's uh, a very careful cut that is made. And so he's saying these people are mutilators. They're not the circumcision. Now, why would he call them dogs? Why does he have such sharp words for these people who are teaching that you must be circumcised in order to be saved? Well, what did we say characterised dogs? One of the things that characterised them was that they roamed around dogging people. These Judaizers, the ones that taught circumcision must be a part of your salvation, they did dog the Apostle Paul. You read the book of Acts as Paul is going around in his missionary journeys and he's going from city to city. What happens? He goes to one city, he preaches there, gets a bit of a following, and then these Jews show up and they stir up the crowd against the Apostle Paul and he has to leave and go on to another place. They continue to follow him. Wherever he goes, these these dogs, the Apostle Paul would say, are following him around like a dog follows you down the street and will not leave you alone, continues to dog your steps. Why else would he call them dogs? Well, he considers them to be unclean in what they're teaching. They're trusting in their own righteousness in order for salvation, which is evil. He even says that in verse 2. Watch out for these do- those dogs, those men who do evil. And they say, wasn't circumcision a good work? Wasn't it prescribed by God? The answer is yes, but it's an evil work when it's kept in order for salvation. Salvation is by faith in Christ Jesus. It is not by circumcision. And so it becomes an evil work when it is used for improper means in order to achieve salvation. 
Why else would the Apostle Paul call call these people dogs? Well, they're greedy. They're always wanting more people. They chased him from town to town, trying to stir up people against the Apostle Paul. And they don't just stop at circumcision. They want more works. They will start with circumcision, yes, but they'll want you to keep more and more of the laws of Moses. They're like dogs that are greedy, never happy with what they can get. They're always wanting more. Why else are they like dogs? Well, they're vicious. They bark and they worry and they bite people. They're not kind. And you see the way they treat the Apostle Paul. It's not with kindness. And why else are they like dogs? Well, they do great harm. They mutilate literally with their requirement of circumcision. But of course, they kill the soul for eternity by their bite. They do great harm because they do not bring salvation. Instead, They're on the path to destruction. Now, do we need to heed such a warning today? Is this helpful for us to heed this morning from verse 2? Verse 2 and 3, do they apply to us this morning? Yes, dogs are still with us. Dogs are still with us. How so? Well, not necessarily people who insist on circumcision. But there's definitely people who teach works righteousness. That in order to be saved, you must do this particular work. You must keep this particular law in order to be saved. Who teaches such things? Well, one of the obvious answers is the religious cults. They're the obvious dogs of today. How are the cults like dogs? Well, they roam around, hounding from place to place. They don't stop. They continue to go. They're very persistent. And they'll attack churches. I had missionaries once from a Korean cult come to this church They didn't come to the service, they came immediately after the service and spoke to me and offered me an all-expenses-paid trip to Korea, South Korea, to to meet their leader, to be part of this big pastor's conference over there. And what were they doing? They were trying to indoctrinate me and teach a works righteousness that then I would bring back here to Australia. And they were going from church to church. I even spoke to other pastors in the Moines community and they had them visit as well. They were behaving like dogs, roaming around, trying to attack people. And they're unclean by what they teach. The cults are unclean by their evil works. They make something good, like baptism is one of the obvious ones that God has given us, and they make that the new circumcision, so to speak. They don't call it that, but that's what they're doing. Circumcision for the Jews was very important, and that became the mark of salvation. They take baptism, and they say, without being baptised, you cannot be saved. Mormonism teaches this. Roman Catholicism teaches this. You must be baptised in order to be saved. But that's an evil work then. Baptism becomes an evil work if it is a way of salvation. How else are they like dogs, the cults? Well, they're greedy for more works. They don't stop with baptism. Yes, they teach about baptism, but then it's more and more. You look at the JWs. They have so many regulations that you must keep. They have increasing laws, and they continue to publish more by their Watchtower magazine that they continue to publish. They're always updating the requirements that they have for their people. They're greedy like dogs. They never have enough. And how else are they like dogs? Well, they can be quite vicious. The cults and the major religions can be some of the great persecutors of the church. You think of something like Roman Catholicism. They've been horrible persecutors of the church. They've done terrible things to the people of God. They've mutilated people who follow Christ in church history. 
And they don't just harm, they don't just mutilate us here, but they're fatal to the soul if their doctrines are embraced. If you're bitten by a dog, you take on what they say. You're not on the way to salvation. You're not saved if you're trusting in your own righteousness. But it's not only the cults that are modern dogs. We also have legalists in churches who are modern dogs as well. How are they like dogs? Well, they roam from church to church, hounding people. They don't usually stay very long at a church. They jump from church to church. No church is good enough. No church is really the family of God. And they jump from church to church, mutilating the church, causing division as they go. Why else are they like dogs? Well, they love to rejoice in what is unclean. Yes, they take what is good and commanded in the scriptures, but they then make it unclean by saying that you must have this in order to be a Christian. You're not a Christian if you don't live this way that I am teaching. And they may point to scriptures that teach that particular command or particular work that God has given us, but they attach it to your salvation. And if you do not keep it, then you're not a Christian. Now, I've got to be careful here. I'm not saying that we can't keep the laws of God. We shouldn't keep the laws of God. I'm not an antinomian, which means that you are anti-law. But I'm not a legalist, which means that you must keep these laws in order to be saved. If you're keeping particular laws in order to be saved, then you are an evildoer. That's what the Apostle Paul says. They're dogs, they're men who do evil. They think they're doing right. You may think you're doing right, but you're actually doing evil if you're trusting in your own righteousness for salvation. How else are legalists like dogs? Well, they're always greedy. They don't stop with one law. They tell you what to say. Then they tell you what you must read. They tell you what you must watch. They tell you what to eat, and then it's what you must wear, how you must spend your money. And they tell you who you can associate with and who you can't associate with. They never stop. They're greedy like dogs. Think of the dog that always wants more. That's what a legalist is. You give him a little bit, he wants a little bit more. He wants a little bit more, wants a little bit more. One bite, two bites, three bites, four. Just keeps on going like a dog. Why else are legalists like dogs? Well, they're often very vicious. They're hurtful, even brutal in their speech. They do not speak the truth in love. They can be very brutal in the way that they speak. And, of course, they can cause great harm. They're like dogs because of the harm that they produce. They mutilate. They divide the church. Remember what the Apostle Paul is on about here in Philippians, that he's encouraging the church to have unity. What do these dogs do? They mutilate people. And they mutilate the church. They come in and they divide the church. And, of course, they steal joy from people. And they can cause the stealing of joy for all of eternity. If they encourage someone and someone accepts it, that if they keep this particular law or that particular law, they will be saved. That person is then depending in that work. And they're undone for all of eternity. Modern dogs, cults. Modern dogs include the legalists. But who else are modern dogs? Well, there's modern dogs who make faith the new circumcision. What do I mean here? Well, they teach you to trust in your trust in Jesus. This is the great danger of Arminianism, that you are trusting in your trust in Jesus. Now, aren't we saved by faith? 
Yes. Aren't we saved by our trust? Yes. I mean, the Apostle Paul teaches this in the very verses that we've got before us today. He says in verse 9, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Yes, we're saved by faith. But our faith doesn't ultimately save us. What saves us? God saves us by faith. Faith is just an instrument. It doesn't actually save you in itself. It is God who saves us. And the Apostle Paul teaches this in verse 3. What does he say in verse 3? Compared to these people who call themselves the circumcision, who are the circumcision? Verse 3. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who believe, no, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence, zero confidence in the flesh. Who are those who belong to God? Those who worship in the Spirit, who glory, who boast, who rejoice in Christ Jesus. Not in their faith. They rejoice in Christ who has given them faith and by which they are saved. What do true Christians boast in? Not in their faith, but in what their faith is in. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our confidence is where? Our confidence is in the Spirit's application of the Son's work to our hearts, the Son's work at the cross. So what is the faith that boasts in itself? The people who boast about how they believe? It's a false faith. It's a dead faith. It's not a saving faith. If you're boasting about your faith rather than the one who your faith is in, Christ Jesus. I heard a good clip from... Alistair Begg, he's a minister in the States, he's a Scot, but he's ministering in the States for many years, and uh, he, he gave this, uh, I saw the clip, it was posted on YouTube uh, last year, and uh, it's so, uh, so helpful in illustrating this point, I believe. So I'm going to quote it in full. Uh, you can watch it on YouTube, where he, of course, has the Scot accent uh, uh, in all its glory there for you to hear. He says, without the preaching of the cross... Without preaching the cross to ourselves all day and every day, we will very, very quickly revert to faith plus works as the ground of our salvation. So to go to the old question, if you were to die tonight and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? This is an old question that was used with a, a movement called Evangelism Explosion. You knock on someone's door and you say, if you were to die tonight and you were to getting in, entry into heaven, what would you say? And the Alistair Begg picks up. He says, if you answer that in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. Because I, because I believed, because I have faith, because I am this, because I am continuing. Loved ones, the only proper answer is in the third person. Because he, because he. Think about the thief on the cross. Alistair Begg says, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You didn't know a thing about church membership. And yet, you made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know. What are you doing here? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. Excuse me. Let me go get my supervisor, says the angel. They go get their supervising, supervising angel. 
So, just a few questions for you. First of all, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? The guy said, never heard of it in my life. And what about the doctrine of scripture? This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, the supervisor says, on what basis are you here? On what basis are you here at heaven? And he said, the man on the middle cross said I can come. That is the only answer. That is the only answer. And if I don't preach the gospel to myself all day and every day, then I'll find myself beginning to trust myself, putting confidence in the flesh. Trust my experience, which is part of my fallenness as a man. If I take my eyes off the cross, I can then give only lip service to its efficacy while at the same time living as if my salvation depends upon me. And as soon as you go there, as soon as you start depending upon you, your confidence is in your flesh, it will lead you either to abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance. It is only the cross of Christ that deals both with the dreadful depths of despair and the pretentious arrogance of the pride of man that says, you know, I can figure this out and I'm doing wonderfully well. We need to beware of the dogs. We need to follow Paul's advice and beware of the dogs. We need to beware of people who trust us to trust in our good works, even to trust in our trust in God. We need to watch out for anyone who is taking what is good and making it an evil work by adding it to Christ Jesus as a way of salvation. And why do we need these verse so much? Watch out for those dogs. Why do we need it today so much? Because we need to beware of the dog within. We need to beware of the dog within. We all start out as dogs. We can look at this verse and go, oh, yes, those terrible dogs. But we all start out as dogs. We all think that we can earn our salvation by works, by good works, even works that are given to us in the scripture. We start out that way. And sadly, even post-conversion, there's a dog still within. There's a dog still inside us. And when does that dog bark? When do you hear that dog barking? Whenever he encourages us to trust in ourselves, to put confidence in the flesh instead of Christ Jesus. And we need to beware of that dog. We need to beware of the dogs outside. And we need to beware of the dogs inside. Why? Because the legalistic dogs, they mutilate. They mutilate within and they mutilate without. They divide us within and they divide the church. It's always competing works. Those people aren't good enough. Those people over there, they need to fix this. Division, division, division. They mutilate the church. And legalistic dogs, they rob us of our true joy now. Now, that's what the Alistair Begg was saying there. It either goes into abject despair or a horrible kind of arrogance, which does not give real joy. They rob you of your joy now, and they rob you of your joy for all eternity if you're bitten badly by them, and you start to really trust in yourself. You're undone for all eternity. They rob you of your joy in paradise. And of course, legalistic dogs, they rob God of his glory. The dogs love to take God's glory and give it to themselves. Look at me and how great I am. 
But what does the true circumcision do? Verse 3, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus. If salvation is all of Christ, then all glory goes to Christ. If salvation is because of us, well, then glory comes to us. But it's not of us. We cannot steal his glory. All glory must go to him. And so we need to watch out for the dogs, the dog within as well, that loves to take the glory that Father, Son and Spirit alone deserve for salvation. And if we find a dog within, what do we do? What do we do when we find the dog within or we find the dog without, outside of us? Cling to the man on the middle cross. Cling to the man on the middle cross. Keep coming back to the lamb who was torn by dogs. Keep coming back to the lamb who was torn by dogs but survived. But survived. He is the only one who overcomes the dogs. The only one who overcomes the dogs. Because he kept the law perfectly. He kept all the works perfectly. He is the true circumcision. And so we rest on the lamb. We rest on the lamb, the man in the middle. He will withstand the hounding of the dogs. He will withstand the barks, the worrying of dogs and the bites. And even our bites of the lamb. The lamb on the middle cross is willing to be bitten repeatedly for us to go free. That's our only salvation from the dogs is to go to the man on the middle cross. And so if you think you've been bitten by a dog, that you are dying from the wounds of a dog, what are you to do? If you've been trusting in your own works, what are you to do? If you have been trusting even in your own faith, when that question is asked, if you were to die tonight and God was to ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? And you reply with, I something. If you are guilty of that now and you feel that you may never have been saved at all, what are you to do? Come to the Lamb. Come to the Lamb. Pray the hymn that we're about to sing, Just As I Am. They're printed in your bulletins now, and I'll read it aloud. Think of this as a prayer to God for salvation. It articulates so clearly that we cannot bring anything. We cannot bring anything for our salvation. Verse 1, just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come, just as I am, and waiting not, to rid my soul of one dark blot, to thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome pardon, cleanse, relieve, because thy promise, I believe. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, thy love unknown hath broken every barrier down, now to be thine, yes, thine alone. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about, with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without, 
Does that preclude you from coming? No. O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind. Sight, riches, healing of the mind. Yea, all I need in thee to find. O Lamb of God, I come. We're saved from legalistic dogs only because the man on the middle cross says, come. And if we come, to the Lamb without anything in our hands, just as we are, he will revive you, no no matter how badly you've been bitten by dogs in the past. You will be revived and you will live. The Lamb doesn't bark. He doesn't hound. He doesn't worry. He doesn't bite. He consoles. He gently embraces and he heals. The Lamb brings love and joy and peace and glory, not anxiety, and worry, and pain. And the lamb makes lambs of dogs. He turns their barks into, and bites into love and joy, into kisses of love. How do I know? He's done it to me. I was a dog once, and now I'm a lamb. Why? Because of the lamb. So with all our fights with dogs, including the dog within, they should always begin and end with the lamb. Let's come to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the God of love and of grace. And we thank you for saving us through Christ Jesus, that he was devoured by dogs so that we could be delivered from those very dogs. Oh, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for desiring to add anything from ourselves to Christ's work and for far too often putting confidence in ourselves rather than in Christ. Help us to watch out for the dogs, including the dog within, and always be clinging closer and closer to the Lamb, clinging closer to Christ Jesus, our Lord. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.